411Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. Stay the world. 411Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl. Imagine life is really going well. You're outgoing. You have a good job. You have money in the bank. You're traveling. You have lots of friends. Life is really good. And then you have a stroke. You're in the hospital. You can't talk. Memory is gone. What now? Hello, everyone. I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. This scenario happened to my guest former journalist Vivian King, and now the author of the book, When the Word Suddenly Stopped, Finding My Voice Again After a Massive Stroke. Vivian, welcome. Beverly, thank you. Thank you so much for even wanting to talk to me. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I read the book. I love the book. It flowed. You know how you can say, uh, this is a really easy read. It was. It was an easy read because it kept me engaged. You did a really good job with this. Thank you so much. Thank you. You know, I was thinking about when we met. And I go back to October of 1997 or 98, because it was when I was interviewing for the job at Fox Mm six and they had a, what do you call it? A club suite or whatever at the Bradley center. And we went to a bucks game. It was you, me, Janet Roach. Remember Janet? Angie Zulu, who was a photographer at the time at Fox six. And I remember um, you were just a pleasure. You were fun. We had a good time. And of course, I yeah. took the job. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We were like, yes, you should come. You should come. <laughs> and you did. And what a wonderful thing. And the work that you've done has just been awesome. And oh. so you are a Milwaukee treasure. I, you know, when I took the job, I, it was a three-year contract. And I said, I'm just passing through. And <laughs> gosh, I was, what, there 21 years. Beverly, I said the same thing when I got here in 1995. I signed a three-year contract and I said, okay, I'm going to be here for three years and then I'm moving <laughs> on to bigger and better things. God clearly had other plans yep. for both of us. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, we are going to reminisce a little bit more later, but I really mm-hmm. want to talk about this book because like I said, it's it's really a good book. I'm really, really proud of you. When the words suddenly stopped, finding my voice again after a massive stroke. Putting this together, it seems like you had to put your journalist hat on and get all these different perspectives in order to tell this story, right? Absolutely. Because I wrote the first chapter five years to the day of my stroke. Wow. And I wrote that first chapter me waking up, me lamenting that I had to go to a Girl Scouts breakfast, not because I disliked the Girl Scouts, but it was a Friday morning, it had been a rough week, and so I said, oh, I have to go to the Girl Scouts breakfast, and then I said, 
I should call and cancel. And I thought, no, my friend Sadna, who you know well, Mm -hmm. because she was in journalism as well. She had invited me weeks before that. And so I said, I have to get up and go. And boy, am I glad I did because I got up and in hindsight, and we can talk about that later, I think I was having the stroke on the way to the Mm. Girl Scouts breakfast. Um, But I wrote that chapter. After And then I got to, okay, part two, getting to the breakfast. And I thought, I do not know what happened at the breakfast. And I said, I have to go back to my old ways of journalism and asking each person what happened. So I started with Sadna because she was the one who introduced me or who invited me to the Girl Scouts breakfast. And so we sat down for lunch and, and I just put the recorder on and we just talked about that that day. And we realized at that point that that was the first day that we had ever spoken about that day. And so the thing she told me, you know, that I was foaming at the mouth when this happened, which which shocked me. And I thought, what? And and then she was telling me other people who were who were reacting to me at the breakfast. And that's when I found out Janine. Edwards, a good friend of mine, was actually at my table. I remembered running into Janine in the beginning as I was walking in, but I didn't remember that she was actually at my table. And then I had several sorority sisters and several other friends there. And so Sadna unlocked that door to maybe you should talk to this person and maybe you should talk to that person. And so it just became this puzzle that I had to bring all of these different pieces together. And really just like we did day in and day out as we covered the news, we pulled these interviews together and 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 that's what revealed the whole story to me. So I didn't even find out about my whole journey until this was done. Wow. Wow. So let's go back and let's talk about this is this stroke happened in what, 2000, what? 2013, October 25th, 2013. Okay. <laughs> Did you feel, because you were saying you probably started, it started as you were driving to the place. Did you feel different? What um, was anything I, off? I, I did not feel different. I, um, you know, jumped up, you know, I took a shower, said, okay, I'm going to this breakfast, grabbed my keys, didn't put my makeup on, which is not unusual because sometimes if I'm in a hurry, got to be someplace early, you know, I will do it in the car at stoplights, as I say in the book, (laughs) you know, at stoplights, not driving down the street. But if I don't finish on the way, then definitely when I get to my destination, I will finish up there. Well, to me, clearly, I had just not thought about that at all. Once I got to the Hyatt, which is where we had the Girl Scouts breakfast, I parked and I did not even think of putting on my makeup at that point. I got out of the car, walked into the hotel, walked into the the dining room, told them that I was a guest of Sadna and they were showing me to my table. And that's when people were coming up and saying hi to me. And in hindsight, as you hear from their stories, they, they 
thought that I wasn't myself, that I wasn't greeting them as I normally would, because, you know, I knew many of them. People were hugging me. People were saying hi. And normally I would greet them with a certain enthusiasm. And that is what they weren't seeing. And so that's why when I got to the table, you know, and Sidney kind of jokes a little bit, and I I had remembered that part from my side of the story. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she kind of echoed that, which was really funny to me. Um, But they told me, oh, you, you know, are you feeling okay? And I was thinking I felt okay. And they said, maybe you need something to eat. And clearly I wasn't necessarily responding. Sure, I feel fine. You know, Uh they said, well, maybe get something to eat. They got me something to eat. I took a bite of sausage. And as I say in the book, that's the last thing I clearly remember for 10 days because I had a seizure. I collapsed right there at the Girl Scouts breakfast. They called the paramedics. And in the book, you know, they feel like it took forever when it probably was only about five to 10 minutes um, because they were, you know, they were pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're, they say when you're there and it, you're going through it, it seems like it was taking forever. And um, and they rushed me to Sinai and I was there for um, about an hour when the doctor said, let's rush her to St. Luke's, which specializes in stroke care. And I was in neurological ICU for 10 days and then in the hospital for a total of 32 days, you know, rehab for those last 20 days, uh-huh. 22 days get me um to get me ready so I can come home wow wow so you're in the hospital for Mm -hmm. for those 10 days are you conscious or not Uh, I'm conscious sometimes and then sometimes I'm not and so um you know, there's a part in the book where I remember my mom coming in. I remember um, my pastor and his wife coming in. I don't necessarily remember everything that they said at that point because I was really in and out. Yeah. I had several, from what I later found out, several MRIs, probably about 20, um, because they might have done it twice a day to see how my brain um, see how my brain was functioning, you know, because they had to watch the swelling. They had mm-hmm. to make sure, you know, I had a, a, a neurosurgeon on standby just in case it swelled too much that they had to do surgery. And thank God they didn't have to do that. And so I remember um, the speech therapist coming in. Um, I remember my sorority sister's asking me questions, um, doing flashcards, you know, I, you know, I'm in and out. I remember my friend uh, and sorority sister, Kim Montgomery, uh, coming and she was by herself. And I remember her, um, bringing a card. And so she gave me the card and I remember looking at it, you know, as, as uh-huh. we talked about, as we had our interview together, you know, it's, it's interesting because as they remembered their parts, then that kind of jogged my memory a bit. And I remembered, yes, that, that did happen. Um, and so she, she recognized right away that I was not responding because she knew I couldn't talk and she recognized that that could possibly be a stroke because her father had had a stroke and couldn't talk for a little bit. And so, so she remembered how they had to talk to him. 
And so she just talked to me regular and she said, would you like me to read the card? And I said, sure. You know, I nodded, I think. And she read the card and it was a Michelle Obama card. And it said, you know, something about Michelle Obama um, wants you to get better and that kind of thing. And so, you know, she she knew that I liked the Obamas and so that I would enjoy that. And then there was another card from her sister. And so she read that as well. And she just talked and and um, and and she said that it was really a period of time before my friend said, OK, nobody can come visit me anymore mm. because the doctors had said too many people coming in will exercise her brain in the wrong way. Overstimulate. Overstimulate, exactly. And they didn't want to overstimulate my brain and have me trying to figure out who somebody is if they weren't somebody close to me or somebody that I'm not, I don't see on a regular basis. They didn't want my brain to have to overwork. Right. And so that's why there was a complete shutdown. My pastor on, on two occasions, two Sundays in a row, told the congregants and our congregation that um, she's in the hospital, just pray for her, no visitors, absolutely no visitors. We know you want to visit her, but we will keep you updated. She can't, she, she, her brain needs to heal. Right. And, um, and so a lot of people were really kind of, you know, I have, I have good friends, you know, I've lived different places and you know, when you live different places and you're day in and day out with somebody, I have some really good friends that I hung out with and, and still talk to today. And they were like, we can't come visit. Right. <laughs> so it's funny. Yeah. You talk about in the book, you call it the, the three P's, which I just, I love the phrasing of that. Uh, posse, which you're talking about, those friends and those friends that had to step in and say, okay, nobody else comes. She needs to heal. Um, And so they're they're taking care of you. You know, they're your gatekeepers. And then you talk about persistence, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And then you talked about prayer and all those things played a pivotal role in your recovery. But we are kind of at our halfway point, and I want to talk about that whole recovery and that rehabilitation. So before we start, let's take a break, and we'll come back, and we will continue our conversation. I'm talking to Vivian King. She is the author of a new book talking about her stroke and the experience, so stay with us. You're listening to The 411 Live. You could be spreading the coronavirus without realizing you have it. So follow guidance from authorities where you live and do your part. It's important to limit in-person interaction with anyone outside of your immediate household, but phone and video chat are safe ways to connect. It's also important to limit any social gathering. This advice applies to people of any age, including teens and younger adults. Visit coronavirus.gov for the latest information. And welcome back to the 411 Live. I am talking to my friend, former journalist, Vivian King, who has written a book uh, 
taking us, really taking us through the journey of her stroke experience and the aftermath. Let's talk about that whole rehabilitation because, you know, one point when I was reading the book and I went, oh, and that is when you talked about you went to the bathroom, you were brushing your teeth, you did that fine, and then the toothpaste was in your mouth and you didn't know what to do next. (laughs) Right. I was just, oh, my gosh. I know. That was... um... You know, it was interesting because every day I would have uh, physical therapy, mm-hmm. speech therapy, and occupational therapy. And occupational therapy, you know, is just really getting you back to doing the things that you normally do. Yeah. Washing, um, showering, uh, you know, so they had to help me shower that day, my therapist. And then, you know, we got cleaned up and then, um, and, and, and they had to take me to kind of like one of those uh, areas, like a dorm room, like a community shower, because I had to sit and they, she had to help me wash because at this time, my, um, my arm wasn't as, uh, it wasn't as mobile, if you will. And so then we got back, you know, I'm all dressed and, and then she's like, okay, time to brush your teeth. And she does that. And um, you know, and I was doing fine. And like you said, I stopped. And then she says, Vivian, you have to spit it out. You have to spit. And I thought to myself, oh, okay. And I spit. And then I thought to myself, I should probably know how to do that. Cause I must have done that once before. And so it was just really, really very strange. And at that time, my friend June had come in because she would come um, in the mornings and um, she had arrived. She was in my room when we came back from my showering and getting dressed. And so the therapist said, she, we just have to uh, you know, have her wash her face and brush her teeth. And then so she heard that and she thought, this is not good. And, uh, you know, it was it. It just kind of, I I had to put that in there because people don't realize, and I didn't realize, I haven't been in the hospital. I mean, I I had been, I had had one procedure done, Uh uh, but I haven't been in the hospital. So this was really kind of my first intimate connection with a hospital. And, you know, I was telling some friends of mine that it made me appreciate the job that I was in at that time, because I was vice president of community relations, but I, you know, I had a cursory knowledge of, of hospitals and care. And so this was really, you know, in a weird sort of a way, kind of preparing me for the job that I was already in. And so, you know, giving me an innate knowledge, if you will, um, my caregivers just do such an amazing job and they, are, you know, they are thankless sometimes. They have to do a thankless job. We have to remember to thank them. Yeah. You know, so many of them on the front lines now, you know, with COVID-19. Absolutely. They are, you know, they are at risk, but it's, they are servants at heart and, and, and thank God for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we talked about the posse and thank God for your friends 
who are, you know, they were stellar. I, they were there for you. Uh, so there's there's your posse. And then with the rehabilitation, I mean, talking about knowing, being told to spit, um, right. that persistence that you had to have during that rehabilitation. Um, man, just getting back to normal. Were you ever afraid or were you thinking, I'm going to master this? I wasn't afraid because everybody around me was so nice. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I didn't have enough memory of my prior life to realize that this is odd. I used to talk for a living and now I can't talk. My brain wasn't there. My brain never said, oh, I need to get back to normal. Uh It was really a step-by-step. And I just, every time... I couldn't do something that they asked me to do, especially in speech therapy. I said, okay, I, I probably should know, you know, I was like, I I thought I probably should know this. And, and they could probably tell from my face that, you know, my face changed. And, and then they would always say, that's okay. We'll try something else. Mm-hmm. They were always very positive. And so I wasn't afraid. I just was thinking, okay, the next time she asked me that, I want to be able to do it. So for instance, every day I would get up, get dressed. I would eat before I ever went to therapy. And so my first session was in the rehab area. And you have a lot of therapists there and a lot of patients. And so you go to this kind of central area in this big room, and then you wait for your therapist to call you. And so my therapy, my therapist would always say, you know, whoever had me first would say, you know, good morning, Vivian. How are you doing today? And I would smile and they would say, what did you eat for breakfast today? And I would have just eaten Beverly and I could see what I had just eaten, but I could not say the words or remember the words or it was just so crazy to me. And so every day I was just like, if I can just tell them what I had for breakfast, I just had it. And then they'd say, that's okay. My mother would say, you know, she had such and such. Oh, that sounds good. Well, let's get you to your first therapy session. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, I need to persist and, and really be able to answer them tomorrow. And so, you know, I would try to do one thing at a time. And finally, I remember when I, um, I, at first they had to wheel me to um, therapy because my right side was weak. But towards the end, and this was when I kind of started talking, I, um, they were late. The guy was, the transporter was late. And so I said, come on, mom. So we started walking down the hall and we met him on the way. And he says, what are you trying to do? Take my job away? And I said, well, we, we thought you were late. So we thought we'd just start. And um, so, you know, each day, once I started therapy, I was really trying to answer the questions and do it better the next day. And so that's, I think, where that persistence came from. Yeah. And thank goodness for those caregivers, because they, when you couldn't, tell them what you had to eat. They weren't, that they didn't give the perception that they were alarmed about it. You know, right. they were just, right. that's okay. I like that. Yeah. yeah I they, like that. They were awesome. They yeah. were awesome. 
Now, let's talk about um, the cause, because this this is a shocker for some people, some women. Uh, what did you find out as far as the reason for this stroke? So I did not find out the cause until discharge day. So, mm. you know, 32 days later, <laughs> I find out the cause because my doctor was telling me what I needed to do, et cetera. And I asked him because I was dating someone at the time, somebody I thought I was going to marry. And I asked him, um, what about my birth control pills? And he said, no, you can't use those anymore. And I said, what? He says, that's what we believe caused your stroke. And so I asked my mother, do you, do you know this? Did you know this? Yes. And then I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> now my father knows I'm on birth control pills. And so does daddy know? The secret is out. Okay. <laughs> Here I am 49 years later, right? 49 years old. Um, and so the bottom line is birth control pills, especially over the age of 40, can cause blood clots. And birth control pills cause the blood clot in my brain over the left side, on the left side of my brain, over the part that manages your speech, which is why I couldn't talk. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and a lot of people don't really realize that the estrogen in the birth control pill can, can be a problem. It, you know, smoking, if I smoked, that would have been even worse. Um, you know, th there are so many other conditions. However, over the age of 40 is, is, is really a risk. And um, when I talked to some of my friends, one said, oh yes, my doctor told me in my mid thirties, we're taking you off birth control pills. And she said, why? Because I don't want you to have a stroke. Mm. But this is not a, a regular dialogue because, you know, and yes, I have done other talks and, you know, people have said, oh, well, I knew that. Well, good for you. Half the women that I talked to did not know. And the other half are like, yes, I knew. But this is not widely talked about. And, and I don't think that all um, healthcare workers really, really believe that sometimes. Because in 2014, which is, you know, less than a year after I had my stroke, I spoke for the um, Go Red Luncheon for the American Heart Association. And I, in my capacity as VP of Community Relations, filled the table. And there was an emergency room nurse from our hospital that said, after the talk, I don't believe that birth control pills caused it. And I said, well, you did not examine me and you were not with me for 32 days in the hospital. Wow. And I'm going to believe my doctors that cared for me at that time. And so, you know, because of that conversation, there's so much information. I happen to, um, a friend of mine has, a, my cousin has a, a, a podcast and I was listening to it the other day and he had an OBGYN and they were actually talking about opioids, but she's an OBGYN as well. And um, they were asking for questions and I asked, can you talk about the link between birth control pills and blood clots and stroke? And so she says, yes, it's the estrogen. And she says, so what I do is if, if somebody is over 40, you can get a progesterone only type of birth control, which 
I was sharing that with another friend of mine in the book who, who was still taking birth control pills. And she says, I, I just told her that yesterday. And she said, I never even heard that. So there's so much information that is not out there about birth control and what it can do to our bodies. Now, birth control pills do a lot of great things, but there are some risks that we need to talk about. And that's another reason I really wanted to write this book, to start that dialogue so that we can have as much information as we could so that we can protect our bodies. Absolutely. I mean, you may be saving lives just by doing this for women who were still on the pill and they're 45, 49, and just didn't know. So now, now they know. Um, the last thing, cause we're almost out of time. I talked about the posse, uh, the wonderful friends that you have and um, your persistence in the uh, rehab and everything, because you are back to normal. You know, there, there are yeah. no resi residuals here. And let's talk about that last element. And that's prayer. So many people prayed for me, not just my family, but then, you know, I'm pretty active on Facebook. And so a lot of people found out that something was wrong because I wasn't posting on Facebook. And then people were saying at, they were at the Girl Scouts breakfast and we need to pray for Vivian. Mm -hmm. And so many people prayed for me. So I, I was just blown away at how many of my Facebook friends pray and we never talked about it. Right. And so why don't we talk about that in public? You know, you know, we just, it just never comes up. Right. And so I had so many people praying for me, you know, close to me, people had their, their Sunday school classes and their churches and their prayer circles praying for me. It, it, I, I just was astounded. And what was even more astounding is that on discharge day, I had three different caregivers who had either been transferred or, you know, one was from, um, one was a nurse from the, the ICU. Mm -hmm. And one had, was my therapist who, um, my occupational therapist who, who said, uh, you know, who told me you got to spit Vivian and then, and then another one. And they came independently during that day while we were waiting, you know, for the discharge papers and the, you know, official work. Right. And they each said, you know, we, we were, we're so glad that you're leaving the hospital. Would you mind if we prayed? And me and my mother were like, we don't mind at all. In fact, we welcome it. And we prayed three different times with these caregivers because they asked us to pray. And so that's when, I, you know, you're in a, a clinical setting and, it's, and it's, it's embedded with science, but you still have people there who believe in God and who feel that prayer is important. And, and I just thought that all of that together, my posse, my persistence, my prayer, on top of the excellent medical, the, the medical breakthroughs and the medical, the, everything that the, the doctors did, all of that just converged. And that's why I'm here today. Wow. Well, I have to say, I was in that number praying for you. And I believe that God is the source and he has and uses resources. And that's your Absolutely. hospital and, you know, all those other people. 
who uh, came beside you in your life in this situation. I truly believe that. I truly believe that too. And I truly believe that he said, you are not going to stay in this apartment. You are going to get up and go to that Girl Scouts breakfast because you don't want to let your friend side me down. And that started the whole ball rolling. That is why I am here today. And I believe he did that for me because he knows I have a big mouth. <laughs> I like to share the good things of my life and share the, the trials and to triumph. And, and I would tell this story and give him the glory because, because I could not do anything for myself. And Absolutely. so I had to rely on him and the people that he put in my life. Well, I am so glad that he blessed you in a mighty way because I'm so glad that you are healed and you're here to talk to us today. It's been a pleasure, Vivian. It really, really has. Thanks, Beverly. I appreciate you. That is Vivian L. King, and she is the author of When the Words Suddenly Stopped, Finding My Voice Again After a Massive Stroke. Thanks, Vivian. Love you. Love you too. All right. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. You know, if you would like to know more about this um, podcast, please go to our website, the411live.org. You can also become a sponsor uh, and you can also see past episodes as well as any uh, podcast platform that you like and of course on YouTube so if you go to YouTube be sure to subscribe as well so until next time I'm Beverly Taylor and this is the 411 Live